this is a knife. Who am I kidding? That's not a knife. That's a knife. This is a knife. And this knife is a powerful tool. With this knife, I can use it to hunt, I can use it to provide, I can protect, I can use this knife to cut things down, to build things, I can use this knife to carve something beautiful. It's a powerful tool, but it's also a dangerous weapon. See, improperly used, I can use this same knife to stab and wound and slice and kill and destroy. There's actually a warning that came with this knife. The warning said this, improper use of this uh, object can lead to injury and or death. See, correctly used, this knife is a powerful tool, but incorrectly used, improper use of this tool can lead to injury and death. Men, your masculinity is the same as this knife. Your masculinity is a powerful tool. And with your masculinity, you can use it to build and create great things. You can protect, you can provide, you can do amazing things with your masculinity. But improper use of your masculinity can lead to injury and death. And you've experienced this, haven't you? This has been some of our experience because there have been some men in our life who have improperly used their masculinity, who have misused and abused their masculinity, and it's caused some hurt in our lives. It's caused some pain, some wounds in our lives as they slice and stabbed at us, and it's become toxic for us. And then there are some men who have underutilized their masculinity. They've become weak, passive, impotent, sterile. I mean, not physically, I don't, maybe physically, I don't know your life like that. But for some men, they've underutilized their masculinity and become weak and passive. And maybe my guess actually is that most of the men in this room have done that. That, that. that at some point along the way, we've made a bad exchange to where we've misused and abused our masculinity and we've powered up and we've used it to hurt and abuse other people because we were looking out for ourselves or we thought other people were there to serve us. At, at some point, we made a bad exchange and we watered down our masculinity and we've mis, uh, underutilized it to the point where we don't fully live in all that God has called us to be when it comes to our masculinity. So for so many men here in this room, for so many of us, there's a trail of bodies in our wake because we've misused and abused our masculinity. For others, we've never really lived into the power that God has called us to as men, and there's so much potential that's been left on the table. And here's the deal, we're, we're trying our best. At least that's, that's my guess. I think most men are, are trying their best. I, I, I think we're trying our best to be the best man that we can be. But the problem for so many of us is that we don't have very good examples to learn from. Like, I think you, as a man, if you're a man, you're, you're trying your best to be the best man that you can be. But the problem is you don't have some great examples to learn from. Because maybe the example that you had was absent. I mean, as you think about our dad, who's our primary example of what it means to be a man, uh, maybe for you, your dad was absent. And so you didn't have that example at all of what it meant to be a man. Maybe uh, your dad was abusive. So he powered up, he was inflated as a man, and he abused, and because of that, you have a bad example of what it means to be a man, and you've carried that on. Or maybe your dad was weak, 
and he was just another child that your mom looked after, and he didn't set a good example for you. So the example that you have is of a weak man. See, we have all these different examples of what it means to be a man, and we're trying our best to be men. Maybe the examples that, that you got came from some college buddies or, or a coach or a boss or some friends that you had, and you looked at their example to see what it means to be a man, and they set a bad example for you. And so you're just living in that example. Maybe you had some good examples that were set for you of, uh, of what it means to be a, a good man, and, and you've tried to live in that. But, but here's my guess for most men here in this room. At some point in your life, you've made a bad exchange where you, you took what it means to be a good man and you exchanged it to power up, to, to be inflated as a man, and you've misused and abused your masculinity and you've hurt other people, or you've made a bad exchange and you become a weak man, or you're just passive, you're just trying to figure this out. See, we're all just trying to figure this out. And the problem is for so many of us, we don't have good examples of what it means to be a man. And so we're starting a brand new series today called The Thin Red Line. And uh, this is quite possibly my most favorite series that we will do all year. Probably my most favorite series ever because this is our man series. And in this series, we're going to discover what it means not just to be a man, but how do we be a good man? And I was here that... Uh, for some of you ladies, you may hear that and uh, you say, okay, wait, this is a man series. What about us? Right? <laughs> what about us? Don't, don't hear what I didn't say. This isn't a men-only series. This is a man series. And here's what I know about all the ladies here in this room. You're going to drag your husband here to get this content. You're going you're gonna to drag your boyfriend here to get this content. If you've got some boys that you're raising into men, you're going to make sure that they're in church to get this content. Because here's what I know about every single lady here in this room, that if you're married, you want your husband to be the best man he can be. If you're dating somebody, uh, uh, your boyfriend, you want him to be the best man that he can be because he's going to be your future husband one day. If you're raising some boys, you want them to be the best men that they can be. So you're going to make sure that they're here. And even if you're a woman who's in the 4% of women who never see themselves in one of these relationships, uh, marrying a man, dating a man, or having uh, sons who become men, only 4% of women find themselves in that, in that category. By the way, 96% of women will either end up marrying a man, dating a man, or, or having boys who become men. But even if you're in the 4% of women who never find yourself in any of those relationships, here's what I know about you. This week, you're going to wake up and you're going to go to work with some men. You're going to go to a boardroom with some men. You're going to be on a ship with some men. You're going to go to class with some boys or some men. And ladies, when you go to these environments and you're surrounded by these men and you interact with these men, wouldn't it be great if these men had their ish together? Right? I can say that, right? Of course I can. I'm a pastor. I say that. I was going to say something else. I said that too. But wouldn't it be great if they had their stuff together? Right? And so this series that we're in right now is not just for men only. This is a series that's for everybody because here's what we know. That when men become good men, families become good families. Workplaces become good workplaces. Our society becomes better. When men get their crap together, when men figure this stuff out, our world becomes better. So this is a series for everybody. And so throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what's true about men. We're going to look at what's true about men. Now, I want to define truth for you. Here's the truth is. Truth is when your beliefs and feelings uh, run into reality. 
Truth is when your beliefs and feelings run into reality. What we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to look at what's true. And so that's your truth. That's my truth. This is what I believe. This is what I feel. Listen, truth is when your beliefs and feelings run into reality, when reality smacks it in the face, when reality crashes into what you believe and feel. The question is, does what you believe and feel still stand up in the face of reality? Because if not, it's not true. If when reality hits, the truth, the feelings, the whatever it is that you have doesn't stand up, then it's not true and it's not real. And so what we want to do throughout this series is we want to say, here's our beliefs and here's our feelings. When they run into reality, do they still work? Are they true? And if not, we need to get rid of it. It doesn't matter if that's your truth, my truth, anybody's truth. No, we want to follow what is true for everyone. And here's what we know. Following Jesus is what's best for all people, at all times, in every situation. And the place we're going to go to find this truth is the same place that Jesus went to, to find truth. See, there were times in Jesus' ministry where people would come up to him and they'd say, uh, they'd ask him questions about life. And the thing Jesus said over and over again was, well, remember, my, my heavenly father said this. Or there was this one time that God said this in his word. And what happened when people asked questions about truth and reality in life, Jesus always pointed them back to what God's word said. Remember, God said this, and so he always pointed people to God's word. And what we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to look back to God's word to see what does God say about men? What does God say about what's true about not just how to be a man, but how to be a good man? Because God is the creator. God is the one who designed us. God is the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And so throughout this series, we're going to return back to the operator's manual, God's word, to see what does he have to say to us about us so that we can become the men we long to be and desire to be. And when we do that, everybody in our life benefits. And so this is where we're headed. But in order for us to get there, I want to explain to you who you are as a man. And so this is a knife. It's made of metal, plastic, rubber. This is a knife. There are some things about you that make you a man. And inside every man are four archetypes. Inside every man there are four archetypes, and these archetypes define who you are as a man. Inside every single man there's a king. There's a warrior, there's a lover, and a sage. Inside every single man, there's a king, a warrior, a lover, and a sage. These are the makeups of who you are as a man. Last year, I uh, underwent this uh, transformation in my life. Uh, It took about 45 hours where uh, I went for nine different sessions to have uh, these sleeves put on. And um, sometimes people ask me about my tattoos, and I got these uh, images to remind me of the four archetypes that make up the man. And so the first one is uh, this lion who's scarred. He's been through some battles, and it reminds me to be a good king in my life. And then there's a Spartan angel. See that tricep? There's a Spartan angel that reminds me to be a strong warrior in my life. And then there's an owl, and the owl is an animal of wisdom. It reminds me to be a stoic sage. And then the face of Jesus reminds me to be a passionate lover. 
And so when I look down at these images on my arms, it reminds me to be a good king, a strong warrior, a stoic sage, and a passionate lover, because inside every man are these four archetypes. And I want to explain to you these four archetypes. And uh, there are different versions of these archetypes. There's a healthy version of these archetypes. There's an inflated version where uh, it's too much. It's, it, it, it's, it, it, it's not healthy. And then, and then there's a deflated version uh, where it's too little, and that's not healthy either. And so what I'm going to do is go through the healthy version and then also the inflated and the deflated version. We're going to have these on the screen behind me. The way we take notes here is by taking pictures. So I want to invite you to go ahead and take your phone out. Get ready to take picture of the, pictures of these. But as you take pictures of these uh, and I go through them, I want you to begin to self-assess and see where you are in these archetypes. Are you a healthy version of a king, of a warrior, of a sage, of, of a lover? Are you an unhealthy version? Are you too inflated? Are you too deflated? Where are you in these archetypes? So the first one is the king. And the idea is this, that every single man, you're a king over a kingdom. You have a kingdom that you oversee. And the people in your kingdom are the people who are looking to you to protect, provide, and preside. And so they're looking to, this is your wife or your future wife if you're not married. This is your girlfriend or your future girlfriend. This, these are your kids, the people who are under your kingship, who are looking to you to protect, provide, and preside. And then there's your friends, there's your coworkers, there's your employees, the people who you oversee, who you have a sphere of influence. This is your kingdom. And the question is, as a king, are you a good king? Are you a tyrant king? Or are you a weakling king? See, the healthy version of the king is a good king. And this is a man who protects, presides, provides with integrity. You do what you say you're going to do. You keep your word. You're a man of integrity. He's decisive and he's centered. He's able to bless others. The people in his kingdom say, thank God for him. Because he's a good king. But then there's the inflated king. And this is the tyrant king. This is the person who hurts and abuses people. He thinks that those entrusted to him are there to serve him. His anger, power, and strength are used to dominate others. And so this is a man who thinks that the people who are under his kingship are there for him. And he rises up and he bullies them and he powers over them. And, and as we go through this, I'm interested to see how you assess yourself. I mean, how do you assess yourself on this spectrum? But more than you assessing yourself and what you would say about yourself. What I'm really interested in is, is how would your wife assess you? How would your kids assess you? Because if you show up as a tyrant king, they're going to know. And they're going to be able to explain it better than you. So the tyrant king is an inflated king. And then there's the deflated king. He's the weakling king. He's insecure. He abdicates responsibility. He shirks his obligation. He blames others. His insecurity, inadequacy, laziness, or victim mentality leaves those looking to him for leadership lacking. And so the idea is that there are people who are looking to you, who are counting on you to rise up and be the king God has called you to be. But if you're a weakling king, then they remain lacking. They don't have what you need to provide, and they're looking for you to do it. And if you don't provide it, they're going to look elsewhere. You're letting them down. There are people who are waiting on you to step up become a good king. And so this is the king archetype. 
The next one is the warrior. And the idea is that each and every one of us was built for a fight. Man, you were made for a fight. And the question is, are you a strong warrior? The strong warrior is mindful. He's decisive, aggressive, for good, adaptable, skillful, loyal, and disciplined, fighting for something that matters. We are all going to fight a battle. And the question is, are you fighting for something that matters? Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting for your kids? Are you fighting for the oppressed? Are you standing and living for something greater? What are you fighting for? And so this is the strong warrior. The inflated warrior is the sadistic warrior. This is a man who uses his temper, his power, his might, and strength to hurt others. He fights them instead of fighting for them. And so again, when things don't go your way, when the anger gets the best of you, do you, do you warrior up? Do you bulldoze over people? Do you fight against people to get your way? This is a sadistic warrior. And then there's the masochistic warrior. This is the deflated warrior. He has no grit. No tenacity, no passion. Ultimately, he doesn't fight for anything. He becomes a pushover with no boundaries, and he quits when circumstances get tough. Are you the masochistic warrior? You become passive in your life? Maybe, maybe you're afraid to hurt others with your anger. Maybe you're afraid to hurt others with your strength, and so you harness it so much that you just become masochistic and you don't fight at all. And so this is the warrior archetype. Inside every man is a sage. And the good, healthy sage is a, sage is a stoic sage. The stoic sage is reflective. He's responsive as opposed to reactive. He's a wise thinker, a spiritual meditator, using his wisdom and approach to help others discover the more that they were made for. And so this is a man who has skills, abilities, talents, experience, expertise, wisdom, and he uses that wisdom, all that he has to help others, become all that God has called them to be. So he's a great resource. He longs to help and serve others. But then there's an inflated sage, and this is the detached manipulator. This is a man who uses his skill, experience, and outlook to use other people for his own gain. He becomes selfish and egotistical no matter the cost. And so this is the man who, you got some skills, abilities, and talents, you got some wisdom, but rather than helping others, you use others to get what you want. And there's a trail of bodies in your wake. The detached manipulator. And the deflated sage is a man who's a lazy complainer. He's inspired by the wisdom and accomplishments of others, desiring the same outcome without being willing to put in the required work. And then he quits and complains when things don't go his way. He becomes a victim. And so you're inspired. You see something others have, and you want that. I desire that. I long for that. You know what? I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to try that out. And then you do it, and then it doesn't go like you thought it would. And you say, well stupid and you complain about it and, or, or maybe put yourself down and you just quit, you just give up. And the truth is you want the reward somebody else has but you're not willing to put in the work to get it. And you become a victim. Well, I can't because these circumstances, this situation, I can, I can, I can. You become a victim. The lazy complainer. So there's the king, the warrior, the sage, the lover. 
inside every man is a lover. And this isn't about sex or sensuality. This is about, uh, this is about emotion and feeling. It's about getting the most out of life. The, the, the lover is a passionate lover. He's fully present, in tune, in touch with, and in control of his emotions. He's able to empathize, entering into others' happiness and sorrow, and also being a man of passion and appreciation. And so this is a man who sucks the marrow out of life. He, he gets the most out of it. He's in tune with his emotions. He's able to empathize. He's able to cry. He's able to laugh. This is a passionate lover. The inflated lover is the addicted lover. This is a man who's never satisfied or appreciative. He's always searching for more experiences, possessions, and women. His love has given into lust. And so this is the inflated lover where he's constantly going for more, 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 more. How can I have more experiences? How can I conquer that next thing? How can I, how can I sleep with this many people? How can I experience these different things? The addicted lover, doesn't just love, but his love turns into lust where he's never fully satisfied. And a great indicator of if this is you is porn. So if porn is part of your life, you've inflated the summer to the point where the desires and the experiences that you have have turned into lust and you're never satisfied. And this has been a struggle for me in my life for a long time. It's realizing that and understanding that and saying, how, how do I be a passionate lover, not an addicted lover? And then there's the deflated lover. This is the impotent lover. Again, this isn't physical. This has nothing to do with sex or sexuality. The impotent lover is void of emotion. He's out of touch with his emotion, feeling dead, flat, depressed, devoid of joy, color, gratitude, and appreciation for life. He keeps what he feels inside. This is the man who, I don't really like to talk about my emotions. I don't really, I don't know. How you feeling? I don't know. I don't know. This is the impotent lover. So men, inside each and every one of you are these four archetypes of a man. The, the king, the warrior, the lover, and the sage. And the question is, where are you on the spectrum? Are you, are you a good king? Are you a stoic sage? Are you a passionate lover? And are you a strong warrior? Where are you in the spectrum? See, our goal is to become a good king. Our goal throughout the series is to become a strong warrior. Our goal throughout the series is to be a stoic sage. And our goal is to be a passionate lover. This is what we want. I remember in the summer of 2019, um, I went to this men's retreat called Crucible. And I've talked about Crucible quite a bit, uh, so much so that other people have started to go to Crucible since I went. Uh, my brother-in-law Dave went to Crucible uh, last December, and then uh, my friend Jeremy just recently went to Crucible, and then Marissa, uh, she is going to Crucible this weekend, coming up. Uh, for a women's retreat. So, so this is uh, a retreat. They have one for, they have several for men and they have several for women. And I highly recommend that each and every person here goes to Crucible. Like you gotta go to Crucible. It'll change your life forever. But I remember I signed up for Crucible and uh, I was going on this retreat. And before I went, this man called me up and he asked me this question. 
And then when I got there, when I arrived at the place where the retreat was, I was asked the same question. And then all throughout the weekend, I was asked this same question. And the question that I was asked uh, throughout my time there is, what is it you really want for yourself? What is it you really want for yourself? What is it you really want for yourself? What do you want? I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good son. I want to be a good man. What is it you want for yourself? I want to ask you that question now. What is it you want for yourself? And, and this isn't just a question for men. This is for women as well. What is it you want for yourself? And just, just think about that and answer that. Just in your mind. What is it you want for yourself? And the follow-up question is if you had that, what would be true about you? If you had the thing that you want for yourself, what would be true about you? If you were a good dad, what would be true about you? Well, well, if I was a good dad, what would be true about me is I'd be patient. I'd be present. I'd be more loving. I'd listen better. That, that's what would be true about me. I'd be a good listener. What would be true about you if you were a good husband? If I was a good husband, I'd be, I'd be patient. <laughs> I'd be a good listener. I'd be more compassionate. I'd be more selfless. That, that's what would be, I would be a man who would be selfless. I would be a man who, who, who was patient. That, that's what would be true about me. What would be true about you if you had the thing that you want? And then the follow-up question is this. Why don't you have it? Why don't you have it? What's keeping you from getting what you want? What are the roadblocks? What are the obstacles? What are the barriers that are stopping you from being a good dad, from being a good husband, from being a great son, from being a good man, from being the best worker at your company, from being the, whatever it is, what's stopping you? Because you don't have it right now. That's why you said you want it. So what's stopping you? What's blocking you? Because the thing you want on the other side of that is patience. You want grace. You want peace. You want love. You want compassion. You, whatever it is you want, that's what you would have if you had the thing that you want. Why don't you have it? What's stopping you? Is it your laziness? Is it your insecurity? Is it your ego? Is it your past? What is it that's stopping you from getting the thing that you want? See, once you identify that, then you can figure out what work you need to do to break past that barrier. Because here's the deal, for so many of us, I believe we've made a bad exchange. We want to be good kings. We want to be stoic sages. We want to be strong warriors. We want to be passionate lovers. But we've made a bad exchange, and we've become inflated or deflated in those different areas. And the thing we want is to be good and healthy in all of those areas. We've made a bad exchange and there are reasons why we are not who we want to be. And the question is, what are those reasons? And are you willing to break past those barriers? Are you willing to stop being a victim to move through those excuses and to take hold of what it is you really want? Or are you going to stay stuck right where you are? Because that's the life you're living now. You can live a different life. There's a better way to live. You don't have to be a victim anymore. You don't have to stop at what's stopping you. You can push past it. The question is, are you willing to do it? We'll sit in church and hear it. Say, that'd be nice. We'll go back to our life and not do anything. And then wonder why we stay where we are. What is it you want? What would be true about you if you had it? Now, why don't you currently have it? 
follow-up question, are you willing to do whatever it takes to push past that and get the thing that you want to become the man that you want to be? If not, you're just wasting your time. It's time to do work. And so I went to Crucible, and this whole weekend it was designed to help me become a good man, to become a good king, a stoic sage, a passionate lover, a, a strong warrior. And it was during this time, it, it was almost like a rite of passage for me, where I went through this weekend and, and I discovered what it meant to really be a man. It was like during that weekend, I moved from boyhood to becoming a man, and I was 36 years old at the time. So I think that's a problem in our society is that we don't really have a good rite of passage for when a boy becomes a man. I mean, if you ask guys, people, hey, when does a boy become a man? What's the rite of passage? We get all kinds of different answers. If I were to ask you, what makes a boy a man? Maybe you say, I, I don't know. We don't really have a good rite of passage to know when a boy becomes a man. See, in Judaism, there's a rite of passage in Judaism, the rite of passage from boyhood to manhood is when a boy turns 13. He reads from the Torah in the synagogue and he has a bar mitzvah. It's a party to celebrate that he's now a man. So you ask a boy in Judaism, hey, when did you become a man? He would say, oh, it was when I was 13. And I read in front of the synagogue and I had my bar mitzvah. That's when I became a man. In Vanuatu, Boys jump from wooden towers 65 to 100 feet high in the air with vines wrapped around their ankles in the presence of the elders to be recognized as men. And the goal in this jump is to get so close to the ground that their shoulders touch the dirt. You ask them, hey, when did you become a man? Oh, it's when I jumped from the tower in the presence of the elders. That's when I became a man. The Seder Mall boys from Brazil make their rite of passage into manhood by sticking their hand in a glove filled with bullet ants and they withstand the pain for over 10 minutes without making a sound to prove their masculinity. And the bite of the ants is said to be 30 times more painful than a wasp sting and so poisonous and agonizing that their arm remains paralyzed for days. You ask them, when did you become a man? It was when I stuck my hand in that glove and I endured the pain. That's when I became a man. The Native American Mandan boys pass into manhood by being pierced with wood splints in their chest, shoulders, and back, and then suspended from the ceiling until they passed out from the pain and the loss of blood. And while they hung there, the skulls of their ancestors were hung from the wood splints. When did you become a man? It was when I was hung from the rafters and the skulls of my ancestors were draped on me. The Okiek boys of Kenya are painted white and they're covered in charcoal, and they're sent into the forest for 24 weeks to prove to the tribe that they're men. You ask them, when did you become a man? They would say, it was when we emerged from the forest 24 weeks later. That's when we became men. You ask men here and now in our society, when did you become a man? The answer is, when I turned 18. Are you kidding me? When did you become a man? When I had sex with that girl. When I smoked my first cigarette, when I did that drug, when I had my first drink, when did you become a man? Our rites and passages are lame. Right. And they're not working. Yeah. Because I know boys who are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old who have never grown up to become men. And I think it's time for a new rite of passage. You know, if I were to create a 
rite of passage, if I were to dream up what a new rite of passage could be for boys to become men. So we have all these boys and men go off on this retreat out in the woods in seclusion. And during a weekend retreat, similar to what I experienced in Crucible, they would wrestle with God. And they would wrestle with their past and their shadows. They would wrestle with the darkness in their lives. They would wrestle with themselves. They would discover their true identity. There would be this moment of wrestling with God and emerging on the other side, going through the fire and finding their gold. This is, this is actually what we see take place in Jacob's life. See, there's this moment, Jacob, in, in the Old Testament, he uh, is this patriarch of the Jewish nation. And uh, Jacob is born, and he's given the name Jacob, which means deceiver, heel grabber. He's trying to get ahead no matter the cost. And throughout his whole life, he lives this way, trying to get ahead, deceiving people, doing whatever it takes to hurt others so that he can get ahead. He's an inflated version of these different archetypes, and it's not good. And then there's this moment where he wrestles with God. And we actually see it recorded uh, in the book of Genesis. Genesis 32, verse 24 says this, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for this daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And this is so critical right here. Jacob is wrestling with this man. Later on, we find out that it's God that he's actually wrestling with, but he's wrestling with God. And there's this moment where God asks him, uh, what is your name? The reason is because Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to fight until I get a blessing. And then God asks him, what is your name? When he asked this question, it must have brought up so much pain, so many memories. It, 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 it forced Jacob to be confronted with a decision. Because earlier in his life, there was this moment where Jacob, which means deceiver, deceived his dad. His dad Isaac was hard of seeing, he couldn't see very well, and he was giving out the blessing of the family. And so Jacob dressed up like his brother Esau. And then he appeared before his dad, and he's ready to steal Esau's blessing. And Isaac can't see very well, but the person in front of him sounds like Jacob, so he asked, what's your name? And Jacob, in that moment, lied. He deceived his dad. He said, Esau. Isaac fell for it, and he ended up giving Jacob Esau's blessing. Jacob stole his brother's blessing by lying, by deceiving, by not owning up to who he really was. He decided to try and be somebody else. He didn't own his own identity. And now here he is wrestling with God. And God asked him the same question, what is your name? Jacob is forced with this moment to figure out, am I going to be true to who I am? Am I going to say, here's who I am. I am a deceiver. Here's all my past. Here's all my shadows. Here's everything I've been wrestling with. Here's my true identity. Or am I going to lie? Am I going to gloss over it? Am I going to move on? No. And so what happens is Jacob, when he says Jacob, he 
not only is he wrestling with God, he's wrestling with his own past, he's wrestling with his shadows, he's wrestling with his history, he's wrestling with everything that's brought him to that moment. And when he fesses up, when he says, here's who I really am, here's my identity, then he faces the fire and emerges on the other side and God blesses him. And so we'd have this moment during this retreat where we would face the fire and find our gold. We would wrestle with God. We would wrestle with ourselves, with our identity, with our past. We'd take all of our excuses, all of our barriers, everything that we blame on others. We'd take all of that and we'd put it out there and we'd wrestle with it and choke it down to the ground and say, now I'm moving forward. And we'd have this moment where we just kind of cross the line from boyhood to manhood and take ownership, responsibility of who God has called us to be. And then after this moment, I gather these boys together in the presence of men who have gone through the same struggle, the same battle, the same wrestling. I would gather these boys together and for each of these boys, I'd hand them a knife, just like this. And I'd say, here, take this. This is a powerful tool. With this tool, you can hunt provide and protect with this tool you can build something great and amazing with this tool you can carve something beautiful but be careful because with this knife you can wound and stab and maim and kill and destroy and I need you to hold on to it because it's kind of like being a man men you are so strong. I don't know if you know that. Maybe you've forgotten that. But you are so strong. Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe somebody lied to you. Maybe you believed a lie. Maybe you made a bad exchange and you traded in your strength for weakness. But you are so strong. And you have a decision to make today where you can leverage your strength to build something great you can leverage your strength to tear down. You can leverage your strength to love and care and help, to love and, and care for and help those in your lives, or you can leverage your strength to wound and stab and maim. It's up to you. But you are so strong. You are so powerful. God has called you to be a good king, a stoic sage, a strong warrior, and a passionate lover. And there's two deals on the table right now. One is this, you can hear all of this and say this is tough, that's too difficult, I'm gonna pass on that. And you can exchange what being a good man means for something else that is abusive, that is not good, and the people in your life will suffer for it. You can also choose to water it down. That's too hard, I don't know if I can do that. And you can be a weak, abdicating man who blames others for where you are. You can make that deal. The other deal that you can make is you can say, bring it on. Let's go. I'm ready for 
the challenge. It may be tough, it may be difficult, I might not be there right now, but I'm gonna take a step and another step and another step because I wanna be the kind of man God has called me to be because there are people in my life who are depending on me to do it. There are men and women and children who need me to rise up to be the man God has called me to be and so I'm not shrinking down, I'm not shrinking back, I'm not running away, I'm not watering it down. Today's the day to make the decision. What deal will you take that's on the table? I'm gonna have just one step for you to take, just just one next step, and this is it. The next step is come back next week. Yes. We're gonna be in groups. Next week we're gonna be in groups. Go to a group where we're gonna talk about this in more detail. That's where the real work begins. If you're not in a group, sign up for a group and download our app. Stop by the connect area, sign up for a group, but be in a group next week. Because just hearing a message, getting fired up, pumped up, convicted, challenged, whatever you feel right now, it's not going to change you. What's going to change you is when you sit in a circle with some other people and you talk through this and you make some decisions, some measurable steps, and move forward to become the man God has called you to be. So get in a group. That's my challenge for you. That's it. Show up next week in a group. And then show up the next week for the week two of this series. And show up again, and show up again, and show up again throughout this whole series. Because showing up is 90% of it. If you didn't show up today, you just sat in bed, you just watched Fox, or you just did whatever you did, getting ready for the game, you would have missed out on what you just experienced today. And here's my guess, watching Fox News or CNN or wake up early in the morning, or I don't even know what's on Sunday morning because I'm in church. But... Uh, playing golf, being at the lake, wouldn't have had an impact on you like hopefully this has had an impact on you. So you know you need to be here. The next step is just be here. Showing up is 90% of it. So show up. Because you got people in your family who are counting on you to be here. They need you to show up. They need you to become the man God has called you to be. And if you don't show up, it's just not gonna happen. So that's it, just show up. Can you do that? Get in your car, drive here, and be here. You can't do that. I don't know how to help you. So we want to be good men. This is what we long for, this is what we desire. And as I close, I need to tell you this, you can't do this on your own. And Jesus is the one who set the example for us. Jesus was the one who blazed the trail because he lived a perfect life, a life we can't live, ultimately dying the death that we deserve. And what happened is Jesus went to the cross and he was pierced, his wrists and his side, the blood flowed down. And his blood flowed from his brow with the crown of thorns. His blood flowed from his wrists, from his feet, from his side formed a thin red line and he invites us to cross over that line to have a relationship with him so if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus to be baptized into him everything I'm going to preach is going to be great stuff for you to think about but it's not going to change your life until you accept Jesus and say yes to him and are baptized into him
So if you've never made the decision to stand up and follow Jesus and become a Christian, I want to invite you to do that today. On our app, you can fill out the Connect form. There's a box there for you to mark that says, I want to get baptized, or i got questions about baptism. You can stop and talk to one of our guide and team members and say, how do I make a decision to get baptized? And they can help you with what you need to fill out on there. But if you've never made the decision, today's the day to make that decision. That's your first decision. The second thing is this. We're going to celebrate communion. As you came in, you saw a cup with bread and juice in it. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. I want to invite you over the next few seconds to go ahead and peel back that layer of plastic. Take the bread as a reminder of Jesus' body broken for you. And once you've done that, peel back that layer of foil and take the juice remembering Jesus' blood that formed a thin red line that was poured out for you so you could be forgiven and given brand new life. As we go on this journey together, it's only through the power and strength Jesus provides that we can become the men and women he's called us to be. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your grace and love and your mercy, your forgiveness. You're so good. You're so good and so many of us have failed in so many ways and what I love about you is you embrace us, you pick us up and you say, I got you, I'll give you the strength you need. So we need that today as we move forward to become the men you've called us to be, to become the women you've called us to be as well. We need you, we love you. We run to you in Jesus' name, amen.